Well, in our series, Outlaws, we've been looking at these prophets who were actually speaking truth to power. And they were risking their lives as messengers from God. We looked at how Moses confronted Pharaoh and how Isaiah and Daniel confronted the evil kings of their day with warnings and a call to turn to God, to change their ways and to end the injustice. And last week we looked at Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you may remember stories of them even as kids. And their stories were happy endings. But today we're talking about how can we trust God with our future when there isn't a happy ending? We looked at last week this idea, are we willing to trust God and have more of an even-if faith rather than an if-then faith? See, if-then faith is when we say, if I do this, God, then you have to do that or I'm not following you. This is more of a conditional kind of relationship. And many of us were raised going to church, and we actually have that kind of understanding about God. You can know if this is your tendency, if you find yourself thinking more in terms of obligation or guilt or shame when you think about God. We have this feeling that if we do enough good things, then it will offset the bad things, so God will be obligated to us. But this is religion. And what God invites us into is a relationship with him, where we can actually know God and experience his divine nature, his divine power. We can experience a connection with the spirit of God and experience the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. So this even-if faith, it comes from a passage that we looked at last week. And just to remind you, they were about to be thrown into a fiery furnace, Daniel's friends, and they said this, they were unwilling to bow towards this statue representing the king, and so they said, we will serve the God who's able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us. Don't you love their confidence? He will deliver us, but even if he does not, we will still follow him. The kind of faith is willing to step into the fire even if it doesn't end the way we want it to. It's a call of God to trust God no matter what the circumstances might be. And in the midst of that, experience a peace that surpasses understanding. It's when we say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe in you. I know you can deliver me, but even if you don't, I will still follow you. So that's why today we're looking at Jeremiah. If you know the story of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet He's called this because he's God's last hope to turn his people's hearts back to him. But as we learned last week, they stay hard-hearted. Now, many scholars believe that in addition to being a powerful man of God, Jeremiah also probably battled depression throughout his entire life. And the hard reality is for 40 years, he proclaimed the message of God and he had not one person listen and turn to him. In case you're wondering if that affected him, he wrote a sequel to his book called Jeremiah. It's called Lamentations. You know what that means? Laments. It's a book about grieving. Sounds like a fun topic for the day, doesn't it? Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who wrote Lamentations. But I want you to listen today and see if there are struggles in your own life that you can identify with his. Here's what's really either remarkable or troubling, depending on your perspective. 
From the very beginning, God made it clear that he had a plan for Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1. The Lord gave me this message. I knew before you were before, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, Look, I put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. That sounds awesome, right? And it's a reminder to us. And as you look at the totality of the scriptures, it becomes clear that God created you on purpose and with a purpose. That when you were created in your mother's womb, God had a design for your life, intention for your life. And we can discover our purpose as we surrender our lives to follow him and as we grow to know him. Discovering our passions and talents and spiritual gifts combined with our experiences and developing our character can lead to clarity. In fact, if you've never been, we're doing a workshop right after Easter, the weekend after Easter at our North Campus called Advance. I encourage you to be a part of that, register for that. That same weekend, we're doing the Hearing God workshop here at Gateway South. But back to Jeremiah. Because you might be thinking, the weeping and possibly depressed prophet who nobody listened to, God had a plan for his life, and that plan seemed to be suffering. Was that what God intended for those 40 years? What if we don't like the purpose that God has for us? What if we don't want this future? Now, here's the catch. We should never allow the struggles of others to keep us from trusting God, helping us with our struggles. See, God never promises a life without problems. He promises to be with us in the midst of our problems. See, Jeremiah was rejected, imprisoned. His life was threatened. He was thrown in a pit and left for dead. No one listened to him. And yet, how do we know that Jeremiah wasn't grateful for the life that he led? Some of us who face more challenges, I've seen this over and over, they seem to have a greater sense of God's presence, a greater peace in the midst of the storms of life. Jeremiah lived a life of faith in the midst of suffering. And so much of Jeremiah's legacy is how differently and yet how compellingly he was able to live the prophecy he was speaking. Jeremiah lived with a fiery passion in a culture where, by and large, faith had been replaced with complacency. In a culture of apathy, he lived with a captive imagination. In a culture of great distraction, he lived with focus. And in a culture of compromise, Jeremiah lived with an unwavering sense of conviction. In fact, his life was so compelling that hundreds of years later, when Jesus appeared on the scene, Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, gives us this account. Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. I find it interesting that Jeremiah's collections of writings are so significant and extremely relevant at the time of Jesus that they thought that he might be Jeremiah back in the flesh. But I want you to know this, this ancient prophecy can actually be incredibly relevant to our lives today. 
but it's rarely talked about in church communities because he does not have a happy message. And I want you to know that I'm aware that we come from different places, from different circumstances. Some of us have a healthy skepticism about God. Some of us have a healthy skepticism about the scriptures. And maybe you've even had experiences in your past in a religious environment that has actually kept you from pursuing God. And if that is the case, I just want you to know that I'm so glad that you're here and it breaks my heart that you had to experience that. And I want you to know that it's important to know that in any community, you will discover well-intentioned group of imperfect people bumping up against each other and living in the blast radius of each other's brokenness and failures. That's why at Gateway, we want to lower your expectations from the beginning. We say no perfect people allowed. And we mean that. This is a place where we're all in process. We come with our doubts and our struggles. And we're coming because we want to know who God is and discover more who he wants us to be. Now, I mention all this because so many of the failures that we see in the church today are characteristic of the failures that we see in ancient Israel, failures that receive strong rebuke in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is completely relevant to our day. Even though it's not a happy message, it's a heavy one, but it's relevant. And it also contains a great deal of hope. Now, the book of Jeremiah, like every book in the Bible, if we will allow it, is like a mirror into our souls. It shows our own reflection, a window that enables us to see more of who God really is and who we are. And the beautiful part of this heartbreaking story is that we see a God who pursues people, even when they've completely tuned him out and rejected his ways. God doesn't stop trying to appeal to them. The God who pursued Israel is the God who pursues you and me. But one of the things that rolls into focus throughout this book is that God's love always speaks truth. From the first time God sends Jeremiah with a message for Israel, it's a message motivated by love, but a message that speaks truth at the same time. It's really important to understand. It was a very unpopular truth for the people of Israel. It didn't feel like love to them, so they didn't listen to it. But God pursued them speaking the truth in love. Jeremiah 26 This message came to Jeremiah from the Lord early in the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. This is what the Lord says, stand in the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord and make an announcement to the people who have come there to worship from all over Judah. Give them my entire message, include every word. Perhaps they will listen and turn from their evil ways. Then I will change my mind about the disaster I am ready to pour out on them because of their sins. Now, today, up at our North Campus, Kenny Green, who's our Central Campus pastor, is speaking. And if any of you know the story of Kenny Green, it's, an, it's really an incredible one. He grew up going to church, but didn't find it relevant to his life, and wandered into rock and roll, playing drums for a variety of bands, and in the midst of that, started taking drugs, and eventually became addicted to meth. And he stayed addicted through his 20s into his 30s, when he went to jail in 2004, But it was in jail that he became a follower of Jesus. And since then, he's helped a lot of people find freedom from their addiction and even find faith in God. And and so he felt like it was fitting that, that John Burke, our senior pastor, would ask an actual outlaw to speak during the outlaw series up at Gateway North. 
But as we work on these messages together, I just felt like sharing his story just a little bit. One of the things that he said is that he can look back on his life now and see so many warnings that God gave him throughout his life. But in his brokenness, he wasn't willing to listen to the prophets in his life, the bosses and coworkers, the friends and family, the police, the judges, even his friends who were on drugs who were saying, dude, you got to slow down. He said this, I feel like God sent so many prophets into my life, but I was so sick and my heart was so hard that I just refused to listen or to change. The further I ran away from God and his will and his ways, the more I began to experience the consequences until finally, in love, God let me hit bottom. Maybe you find yourself in a place of desperation. This could be the moment that you turn towards God, not away from him. See, too often when bad things happen to us, we turn away from the the one who can actually help us through it. Also wonder, have you ignored the prophets that God has sent to you in your life? Have you stopped listening to the very people God has sent to help you by having a, a hard conversation? See, God loves us so much that he gives us the freedom to follow him or reject him, to go his way and enjoy the blessings of that, or to go our own way and learn from the consequences of those choices. See, what happens is sometimes we struggle to trust God because of the bad things happening in our lives, not realizing that the bad things happening in our lives are because of the bad decisions that we've made. See, throughout the scriptures, we see God is warning his people, and sometimes it looks like God is an angry God, the God of the Old Testament. Maybe you've had that thought. But when you realize it's He's like a father trying to warn his children away from the destruction, and so there's urgency, there's warning in that. But like we say at Gateway, this is a a loving community, and a loving community is both inclusive and willing to have the hard conversations. I mean, I want you to think about it for a moment. How many of you are parents? I noticed how slowly some of you with younger kids raised your hand. I want you to think about it for a moment. If you were seeing your child going the wrong direction, wouldn't you want to warn them? Isn't that the most loving thing that you can do? Now, I love my two children. They're 19 years old. They're 16 years old. And I have to tell you, though, I was kind of surprised, even as infants, how strong-willed they were. Did you know that babies lie within the first six months of life? I think my kids were overachievers. (laughs) Some of you have heard me tell the story, but I was just so fascinated with my little girl. Just such a strong-willed little person. And we, from the beginning, felt like she was going to grow up to be the next Mother Teresa or a dictator of a small country. It was like one or the other. <laughs> and I remember asking her when she was three years old, I said, Trevi, when you grow up, do you want to be a leader? She said, I already am. And you know, it was true, because every morning my son, who was six at the time, would wake up and he'd go into the living room and he'd turn on Sports Center. You know how proud I was as a father to hear every morning. But here's where he disappointed me. His three-year-old sister, three years younger, would walk into the living room a little bit later, and he would change the channel to cartoons and then hand her the remote control. Pray for my son. When she was four years old, I asked her, Trevi, when you grow up, do you want to be president of the United States? And she said, yes, I want my picture on the dollar. Sounds like a politician, doesn't it? (laughs) The vanity. And when she was four, Caleb decides to follow Jesus, so he's getting baptized. So I asked Trevi, I said, Trevi, your brother's following Jesus. He's going to get baptized. Would you like to follow Jesus? And she looked at me and she said, 
I already told Jesus I would be his leader. Now that's not what I expected. My little girl was starting her own world religion in which Jesus followed her. And so we kicked her out of the house, right? We didn't want her to be a bad influence on our son. Of course not. We just stopped feeding her for a while until she changed her ways. Of course not. We just had to have a loving, gentle, hard conversation, right? Just a sweetheart. You cannot tell Jesus to follow you, but instead to have a humble heart and to learn to follow others, including mommy and daddy, right? <laughs> when she was six years old on the way to Trader Joe's, sitting in the minivan that she now drives, she decided to follow Jesus. And I heard about it. I was so excited and I ended up telling her, Trevi, now that you follow Jesus, you can be baptized. And Caleb informed me, oh, she already baptized herself in the bathtub. <laughs> so we had another hard conversation. See, a loving parent is going to have the hard conversation. All right, these are silly examples, but I can tell you with teenagers, a loving parent has the hard conversations, is willing to warn their kids because they love them. God is a loving father. And some of us have a distorted view of who God is because of our church childhood or because of what we've seen in the brokenness in our world. But I want you to come to the scriptures, come on Sundays with an open heart and open mind for who God really is, a God who loves you, who created you on purpose and for a purpose, who wants to guide you into what is best. For Jeremiah, the price of tough love was he was beaten and thrown in the stocks, threatened with death, imprisoned for years, and thrown into a pit and left her dead. But because of that devotion to speaking the truth and love, we also discover through Jeremiah that God is also just. In our world today, for many of us, that's great news because we're surrounded in a world of injustice. And it's good news to know that there is a God who sees the wrongs done and will one day make all things right. The widespread social injustices in Israel were obvious and it was symptomatic of their rejection of God and his ways. Jeremiah 9. Let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother. For every brother is a deceiver and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity, heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. See, Jeremiah teaches us in a painful way that God's commitment to justice is unwavering. And while he is patient, he won't be unjust in the end. The people of Israel had come to the end of God's generous patience. He had warned them for hundreds of years to turn back to him. All the prophets we looked at over the last few weeks were warning them, trust in God. Don't go the ways of your evil neighbors who were sacrificing their children to these false gods. Since God is truly just, at some point, these wrongs had to be righted, and he gave them what they wanted. I have to realize the world is not as it should be, and God grieves and mourns with those who mourn. He came to make things right, and one day he will make all things right. And when you think, well, why won't God do anything about it? In reality, he has. That's why we celebrate 
Christmas and Easter. See, God's justice is clearly seen through the cross. There's a tremendous amount of injustice and sin and brokenness in our world. And so God came and entered into our world, walked among us and taught with authority and brought healing and ultimately willingly gave his life, dying on the cross for you and for me and for all of humanity. And then he rose from the dead. He came to take on himself. God took on himself evil and conquered death. Listen to how injustice was made right through Jesus. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God this to de- did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. See, the cross of Jesus reminds us that God is both just and grace-giving. And this story so resonates, a, a God willing to sacrifice who rose from the dead, that in our culture, it's like the plot of every single superhero movie. Have you noticed that? Every superhero goes through this crisis and then they finally willingly give up their their lives only to resurrect from the dead or not really be dead. You know, Hulk pounds on their chest and they wake back up. And we see it over and over and over and it's because it resonates within. It taps into the story, the greatest story. A God who loves us, who gave everything for us. And we discover that when we lose our lives, that's actually how we find our lives. Jesus said that all along. The base note of all of Jeremiah's writings is this idea that that God would make all things right and ultimately he will give us what we want because sometimes it is required for us to hit the bottom when we'll finally look up for help. But in the midst of this, of God's love and justice, There's always a hope seeded into the sadness. If we try to put ourselves in Jeremiah's shoes, he was threatened, beaten, and imprisoned. I can't imagine he didn't have questions or doubts. He probably felt he was not dealt a fair hand. And there are times when we all feel that way. So so how can we trust God, who is just, with our future, while the people we love don't seem to have one? When we lived in Los Angeles, we would get together with my cousins and their families. Two of my three cousins, the the cousins that are my age, lived out in Los Angeles. Uh, I have a picture with me and my cousins who are very tall, or either that or I'm standing in a hole. Now, our dads are about the same height, but our moms are 5'11 and 4'11. Can you guess which one is mine? I have a picture. Here's some of our family. Go ahead. So... Show them the one with the circles. That's my cousin's mom. That's my mom. You can see I'm not even a head taller than her. Go to the next one. Yeah, that's my aunt. And that's my mom. So no wonder they're so much taller, right? Now, my cousin Todd married a woman who had a son named Jacob. Why don't you show that picture of Jacob? Eventually, they had a child together named Chloe. 
Now, Jacob had been sick since birth, and then remarkably, even miraculously, seemed to get better. But at age three, things got worse again. At age four, they diagnosed him with a disease called Lee's disease. They told my cousin and his wife that Jacob would only live six more months. But Jacob exceeded expectations. He lived to be seven years old. He was a friend of my children, and it was the first funeral my children ever went to. When we lost Jacob, I remember thinking through, what am I gonna, what am I gonna tell my children? Should we even invite them? I mean, they, they were used to seeing him at big holidays. Should we even tell him he's gone? Here's the thing, though, about this little boy, seven years old. Jacob experienced more joy in his seven years than most of us will experience in a lifetime. And what's remarkable is that mom and dad, losing a little one, somehow found comfort, somehow even discovered a level of faith that they didn't even have before. Todd was just telling me this week on the phone that the last few weeks that Jacob had with them, he was in hospice, he started having conversations with who he described as angels. It was almost as if he was in the eternal realm and here at the same time, asking his mommy and daddy if they could see who he saw. Now, here's the thing. You and I, we do not have the right perspective. We're too short-sighted. We need an internal perspective when we face troubles to realize that the God who created us and loved us has more for us than this. This is not all there is. Now Jacob is no longer in pain. Now he can run for the first time. He can jump. And he avoided the angst and pain and brokenness of this world. A couple passages that I always go to in the midst of losing someone. Psalm 116, precious in the eyes of God are the death of his faithful servants. Or this one in Isaiah 57, no one understands the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. We need an eternal perspective. This is not all there is. Too often we allow struggles in our lives or the struggles of others around us to bring us to closure too soon on who God is or who he wants, what he wants to do in our lives. Too often we settle for pursuing happiness when God is offering us joy that transcends our circumstances. We've settled for if-then religion when we can have an even-if faith. We've settled for churchianity when God offers us a relationship with him that begins now and continues into eternity. God does not promise us a life without problems. He promises to be with us in the midst of the problems we face. This is not all there is. The best moments now are just a tiny glimpse of what will be. Every good gift we have in this life is a gift from God. So you can only imagine when all the sin and selfishness and brokenness and pain of this world are removed and replaced with the glorious love and grace and beauty of God's presence, how the future is so much better than what we experience now. Now what's fascinating is the prophets were looking forward, trusting in the God who is going to come and rescue us. On this side of the story of Jesus, we trust in a God who's already come to rescue us and will come again to make all things right and to bring us into his presence. Last week, we looked at one of the most famous passages in the Bible. It's Jeremiah 21, in which in the midst of being held captive and taken away to a new place in Babylon, they were told to prosper the city. They were reminded that God has good plans for you. 
plans to prosper you for a future and a hope. They were told in the midst of terrible circumstances that if you seek God, you will find him. There was no changing the reality of the destruction of Jerusalem, the exile, the loss of their land, but it wasn't going to be permanent. There was hope seeded into the sadness. In the midst of the grief and the loss and the pain of injustice, they could trust that God is still good. That they could learn from these consequences and even from the evil done to them. We can trust God with our future. What we see in Jeremiah is that in the midst of his suffering, it allowed him to fulfill his calling. In the midst of his suffering, he experienced a beautiful closeness with God. Listen to how beautifully Jeremiah summarizes his life. It starts off in the book Lamentations. Again, not a popular book to read or to talk about on a Sunday, but I want you to listen to his awareness of his reality and yet the hope. He says, I am the man who's been afflicted by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has given me away and made me walk in darkness rather than life. He's turned his hand against me again and again and all day long. Jeremiah has such a high view of God's sovereignty, his control, that rather than saying the kinder, God has allowed this to happen, Jeremiah just accepts this was his lot in life. But then listen to this. This is what he says at the end of the same passage. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. See, some of us are stuck at the beginning of that passage. We just are overwhelmed with the destruction all around us or within us. But in the midst of that, there's a God who loves you and who's heart is for good and for a future for you that we might discover as Jeremiah did in the midst of our suffering we can actually experience the presence of God in a way more beautiful than perhaps we've ever experienced before that his mercies are new every single day that's been my experience when I look back at the most painful moments of our life I I, it's this weird feeling where I, I grieve and I mourn, but I'm so glad God was with me through that. God was with those I love through that, including my cousin and his family. So much of the Hebrew scriptures are asking the question, what is God like? And so God's response to that question is he came to rescue us and his name is Jesus. In the days that Jesus was was with us, people were asking that same question, what is God like? And he answered that God is like a shepherd with a hundred sheep, like a woman who was lost a coin and searched desperately, like a father who has two sons. See, God pursues us. It it could be in coincidences. It could be in answers to prayer. It could be in circumstances, like a, a line in a film or a lyric in a song. It could be a follower of Jesus is praying for you and then offers you a book or encourages you to listen to a message. God is pursuing you. Are you seeing that in your life? If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus, who said that God is like the shepherd who has a hundred sheep and if one is lost, he will leave the 99 to go find that one. God pursues us to reckless love. So in this moment, I want to invite you to stand with us. 
And it could be just letting the band sing the song over you or it could be singing with the band about a God who loves us. And as we sing together, as we listen together, I want you to consider what is it that God's trying to say to you today? What is the next steps he has for you? Let's sing. Let's sing.